Thanks. Open your Bibles, please, to the book of Luke chapter 15. And we're in a, we're in a series called uh, This Is Us. By the way, how many of you had a really good life group this morning? Was the life group a good class? You learned? Uh, I'm glad. That's a powerful story that we studied in life groups, and I'm glad you got to share it. That's our small group Bible studies, and it's it's good to be in those, and we'll help you find a class for next week if you uh, need some help with that. But I want to talk, we're talking about some of our, our mission and values, and this week we're going to talk about the value of being outward focused, how we say as a church we want to be outward focused. So every membership class when I teach this, I, I, I use this example. I say, let's imagine for a minute, we're not going to do this, but let's imagine for a minute that we're going to, that we hold hands in a big circle. We're not going to do it because we can never touch each other again. That's the way it is. You know, you can't hold hands or shake hands or hug. Those of you who are anti-huggers have seen a silver lining in this dark cloud of the pandemic, haven't you, if you don't like hugging? But let's just imagine you're going to hold hands and we're not going to do it because some guys squeeze too hard or too soft or sweaty hands, but you get in a big circle. Can you picture it? And when we do it, of course, we're always imagining we're pitching, we're, we're looking inward. I mean, because it's natural for us to look inward. But I've said we want to do what is not just natural, but it's supernatural to look outward. We want, we want our circles as a church not just to be on those who are already here, but to think beyond that and to have an outward focus, as, as not just an inward fo- focus, but an outward focus as well. So here's the principle I'd like you to note with me. We want to love and plan for those who aren't here yet. We want to love and plan for those who aren't here yet. So we want to think about people, not just the ones who are here, though we love them. We want to minister to them. We want to have fellowship. We'll talk more about fellowship. We have already, already have in this series and will more later. It matters to us, but not just for those who are here, but we want to love those who aren't here yet. We want to plan for those who aren't here yet. We want to pray for them and care about them and love them, and we want to see them follow the Lord. We want to do that as a church. We want to be outward focused. So let's read this story in Luke chapter 15. It's a parable from Jesus. It's in the line of three straight parables where Jesus will teach this lesson of why it matters to think about those beyond ourselves. Um, Let's read in Luke chapter 15, verse 1. The Bible says, all the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him, that is to Jesus. And the Pharisees and scribes were complaining. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man among you who has a hundred sheep and loses one of them does not leave the ninety-nine in the open field and go after the lost one until he finds it? And when he's found it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. And coming home, he calls his friends and neighbors together, saying to them, Rejoice with me because I found my lost sheep. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous people who don't need repentance. Jesus is teaching us here, he's talking to us about thinking beyond ourselves, beyond just those who are here now, but loving those who aren't here yet, planning for those who aren't here yet, caring about people beyond ourselves, about the importance of reaching out. And I'm going to talk about four things the Outward Outward Focus Church does. And I encourage you to take notes if you're watching online or in person, just write these four principles down, would you? First, would you know, the Outward Focus Church teaches the Word, teaches the Word. Verse 1 tells us the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to Jesus. That is, 
they were approaching, the Holy Spirit was drawing them. They had a lot of what the world says you need to have, and yet there was an emptiness in them. Some of you know this from your own life. You thought, if I could just get enough power or money, the tax collectors had plenty of that, and yet they were still they were empty on the inside. They were looking for something more. If I could just have enough pleasure, if I could just do what I want, well, the sinners were doing that, and yet there was an emptiness inside them, and they were looking for something more. And the Holy Spirit draws us to Himself. And some of you can give testimony that there was a time in your life where you thought you had, you had everything the world says you're supposed to have to be happy, and yet you were missing something. Everything the world says you need to be fulfilled, and yet there was an emptiness in your life, and you were searching for something. And the Bible says they were approaching to listen to Jesus. And notice the people who are coming to listen to him. Uh, the Pharisees and scribes called them sinners. You, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. He cares about these sinners are broken and messy and fallen. They have bad habits and have made terrible mistakes and have gone the wrong direction. Which, by the way, all of us are sinners. We'll need to note this. All of us are messy. All of us are broken. All of us have problems that only Jesus can fix and correct and change. And the Bible says these tax collectors and sinners were approaching for a purpose. They were coming to listen to Jesus. And Jesus was speaking the word to them, which he so often did. The pages of the New Testament are filled with Jesus telling people, preaching to them, speaking to them, and telling them about the truth of God's word and who God was. And so like Jesus, we invite sinners to listen to God's Word. Like Jesus, we invite sinners. That's the only kind of people there are. All of us have sinned. Every one of us have fallen short. Maybe your sins aren't as dramatic as someone else's. Maybe yours are far more dramatic. But all of us are sinners. Like Jesus, we invite sinners to listen to God's Word. We are, as we mentioned, Bible-based. We want to teach God's Word. So we are inviting sinners to listen to what God has to say. Like Jesus, we know truth and love go together. They're inseparable. We can't separate, never try to separate truth and love. God tells us the truth, and God is love, and they always go together. So it's not truth without love. Truth without love is judgmental, as though we don't need grace, as though we aren't sinners as well. Look at us good people. We're not like those bad people. Well, we're all sinners. We're all, we all fall short. And we can only come to salvation because of the grace God gives us. We don't deserve that grace. So it's not truth without love. And it's not love without truth. It's not just love and and we say, listen, sin's no big deal. Holiness doesn't matter. We'll redefine sin. Or we'll say your sin is not really sin after all. It's not that at all. It's love and truth. Instead of being truth without love or love without truth, instead we tell the truth because we love. And we love because we know the truth. So we want to tell the truth because we love people. We do them no favors by pretending sin isn't sin or ignoring sin or redefining it or, or saying it doesn't really matter or it's no big deal. We recognize how big a deal sin is. We recognize that sin separates us from God. 
But we also recognize that our, uh, the truth, we tell the truth because we love people. And we love them because we know the truth. And the truth is God loves us though we were unlovable. And because of our love for God and of course his love initiated to us, we can love other people even though they're sinners, even though they're broken, even though they're outside of God's grace. And so the outward church and the outward focused church teaches the truth. My, uh, my father's story is different than mine. I grew up in church. I've been in church all of my life since the youngest age. I was in the, you know, nursery when I was a little baby, a preschool classes and Sunday mornings and children's classes. I was a, as a teenager, I was always active in church and as a young adult and well, I'm still kind of a young, still young at heart adult. I mean, I've been in church all of my life, but that was not the story of for my father. My father did not grow up hearing the message of the gospel. He didn't know the, didn't really understand. He never, at least in a way, he clearly heard about Jesus' love for him and Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross, about the wages of sin, about his need for God. He just knew there was something missing on the inside. And my grandfather, uh, sure enough, didn't grow up going to church. And he was far from the things of God. And I tell in the membership class more details, but it just suffices to say my grandfather was um, lost and broken and, and bound by some sins that just had him. And he was anger and bitterness, and it led to some uh, sinful activities that affected him and affected his family. But my father got invited to church and through a long series of events, eventually found himself attending a church in Keysport, Illinois, 42.7 miles from this very spot. And there was a little Baptist church there. And they were having a revival meeting. And my father heard the message of the gospel that we're sinners who need a Savior. My dad knew there was something missing on the inside. Very first time he ever heard the gospel in a way that he could remember at least. And that Jesus died for him on the cross. And that Jesus rose from the grave. And that he could be saved by the, by the Lord Jesus himself. And that night, my father trusted Christ as Savior. And my grandfather heard the message of the gospel that night as well. But he didn't give his life to Christ. But he faced great, what we might call, conviction of sin. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He convicts us of sin and righteousness. And so the next night, they were having a series of meetings. The next night, my grandfather came back under great conviction. No one had to convince my grandfather there was something wrong on the inside of his life, that he was broken and sinful. But I think he doubted God could love him or do anything about it. And that night, my grandfather came to realize the truth that he had a need and the love of God meeting that need, and he trusted Christ as his Savior. And uh, my father and grandfather's lives were changed. The trajectory of my life would be changed years later when I was born because of that event. And I've always been thankful for a church, a little church in that small town that loved and that told the truth. They didn't just, they didn't just love and say, we're going to ignore the truth about sin. My, my grandfather and my father needed something more than that. They didn't just tell the truth and not love and say, you know, we've got the truth, we'll just keep it to ourselves. But they loved a little boy far outside the things of God, a grown man who was going the wrong direction, who, who the tax collectors and Pharisees, the, uh, who the Pharisees and scribes would have complained about, but they cared about him, and they came to know Christ as Savior, and the outward-focused church teaches the truth. We want to be Bible-based and teach the truth to, 
put love and truth together because they're inseparable. There's a second principle I want you to note. The outward church does. The outward church, outward focused church overcomes criticism. So notice what happens. The Bible says the tax collectors and sinners were approaching Jesus, but the Pharisees and scribes were complaining to him. They were complaining to him. They said, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. They began to complain to Jesus. It reminds me of the story. I love this story in the Bible. I've preached it many, when I get invited to preach somewhere else, many times I've preached this passage from uh, the Gospels where Jesus uh, is speaking in a, in a home and there's a paralyzed man and four of his friends grab a corner, each corner of a pallet and bring the man to Jesus and they can't get in the house and so they climb up on the roof and tear a hole in the roof and lower the man down. And Jesus not only heals the man physically, but he meets the deeper spiritual need of the man's life. And I'm, I'm reminded when I hear that story, it's always kind of spoken to me because there's a, there, there's a couple of groups that hinder the work of Jesus there, that stand in the way of what Jesus is doing. The crowd won't let the man in. And I just remind you, the crowd's sometimes wrong. If you follow the popular way, I mean, sometimes the crowd gets it right. Sometimes our culture goes in the right direction, but many times our crowd will miss it. And if you just follow what's popular, you won't always follow Christ and the crowd stood in the way, but also the religious leaders, the Pharisees, scribes, and folks like that. And it always has stood out to me. They were kind of angry and judgmental towards the, towards the Lord himself. And I'm reminded because I'm really religious I go to church all the time. I'm really, and I'm reminded of how dangerous it is from the inside when we have that complaining spirit. By the way, I don't have to go to the Pharisees to see a complaining spirit. I got enough of that right deep inside. I know what that's like. I know what it's like to begin. Can I just tell you, it's hard, it's hard to be outward focused as a church. And here's why. Because it's easier to be inward focused. It's easier to be inward focused. We already have problems here. We already have needs here. There are plenty of needs to be met right among the people who are already here. And so if we're not careful, we can just spend all of our time focusing on the needs that are here. Now we care about the people who are already here. We want to meet needs. Fellowship will always matter to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's easy to be inward focused. And here's why. Because it's easy to become self-focused, to be self-focused, and to say, well, what about me? What about my wants? What about my needs? And that leads to a critical spirit. And I can see that in my own life. I don't have to look to someone else. It's easy for us to begin to make church about us, to have a critical spirit. You, you may have heard the story of the man who was lost on a desert island for an extended period of time, and he finally got rescued, and there were three buildings. They said, what are these buildings? And he said, well, that, that's my house I built here. And they said, what's the next one? He said, that's the church I built here. And they said, what's the other one? They, he said, oh, that's the church I used to go to. Well, that's, that's, I, know, I understand that story. I can kind of relate. I mean, I can get frustrated just with myself. I can develop a critical spirit as easily as anyone else. And, the, and never am I more like the Pharisees than when that happens. But God calls us, listen, not to a self-focused life. God calls us to die to self. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, take up your cross. Die, deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. 
We die to self in order to live to the Lord. And so the outward church says we're going to overcome the criticisms. We're not going to, we're not going to just focus on ourselves. We're not going to just meet every squeaky wheel. We're going to care about people who are here, but we're also going to care beyond. We're, we're going to have our circles that face inward, caring about people who are here, but we're going to turn circles outward as well. We're going to care about people who aren't here yet. There's a third principle I'd like you to note with me about the outward-focused church, and that is it loves the individual. It loves the individual. Let's go to verse 3. So Jesus, in response to the people saying, hey, man, listen, this is complaints. This man welcomes sinners. He's with them, those messy, fallen, broken people. Here's what Jesus said. He told them a parable. He said, what man among you who has a hundred sheep and loses one of them does not leave the 99 in the open field and go after the lost one until he finds it? Jesus is just giving them a story to teach them. He's saying, if you, if you have a hundred sheep and just one of them gets lost, you, you care about that and you want to find that sheep. It's only 1%. I mean, it's one, there's 99 still there. So we could say, well, math says you just stay with the 99. You just care about them. And he says, no, we don't. We know better. We know, we know about the importance of the individual. And so you leave the 99 who are safe to find the one who isn't. You care about that one. Notice three things about this. Notice that each one matters individually. Each one matters individually. The reason the group matters is because each part of the group matters. The reason the 100 sheep matters is because the one sheep matters. The group matters because each part of the group matters. Secondly, note that each one has value. Each one has value. That sheep has value to the shepherd. And I remind you that every person has been created in the image of God. Now, images have been marred by sin, but they have intrinsic value. Our culture's forgotten this. And they say, people aren't that important. Maybe me, but not the others. But every life has intrinsic value before the Lord because they're created in God's image. And not just intrinsic value, but really ultimate value or uh, potential value. They are capable of being adopted into God's family. If they will repent of their sins and place their faith in Jesus and be saved, God in heaven will adopt them into his very own family, and they become his child. They have value. Every single one has value. And thirdly, each one must be saved individually. You have to come to Christ individually. God has many children, but did you know God has no grandchildren? No grandchildren. You don't come to Christ because your parents did. You don't go to heaven because your parents knew the Lord. You're not kept from heaven because your parents didn't follow the Lord. But every one of us individually has to make this decision to follow Jesus. Each one of us gives our life to Christ if we do individually. Christ invites us to know him. And the outward focused church loves the individual. Sometimes I'm reminded just to kind of personalize this in my life. I thought about the young man who was baptized, you know, I, I loved seeing that. He matters to his family, to the people in his circle. Sometimes when I hear people say, you know, we should just focus on the ones who are here already. I'm, I personalize that with my, my father. I'm glad that church cared about my father. 
He's just a little boy. He didn't go to Bible school. He didn't go to life groups. He didn't go to worship services. He was on the outside. And yet some church in a little town cared about a little boy like that. I want us to care about little boys and girls. And there's a sense in which we say, if we say, I'm going to focus, we want to focus on the ones who are here now. We're saying, but we don't want to focus on the ones who aren't here yet. We want to love the little boys and girls who are here. Great. But not to the exclusion of those who aren't here yet. I'm glad that church cared about a broken, broken middle-aged man who was far from the things of God and who was doing everything he could to bring pain to his own family and his own life. I'm glad they cared about that man. And I want us to care about people who aren't here yet. Uh, yesterday there was a funeral here. You know, the funerals in this season have been difficult just as people have been more separated. But we had a funeral here yesterday for uh, a lady named Bev Tipton who was a member here for many, many years. And um, they'd moved away some years ago and she passed away and they came back for the funeral here. And uh, Bev taught in vacation Bible school in our church. She and her husband were very active and she taught Bible school here for years. And she went on mission trips. She went on several mission trips my wife and I actually went with her on a mission trip to Peru. I mean, to a jungle. Not, I mean, it's just so far out from civilization. And I heard the story, a little more of the story. I think I'd heard some of her story. I knew some of her story before, but I heard the story again from a family member. So her sister told the story. So they grew up in a religious home but they didn't have a relationship with, with the Lord. I mean, they knew about God, but they didn't know God personally. And so this sister was just, she was looking for something more. And while she appreciated her background, she just, there was, she didn't have a personal relationship with God. And she said, there's got to be something more. And through some circumstances, she came into connection with a Bible-based pastor who explained the gospel message to her. And that God wanted a personal relationship with her. God wanted her to be born again, to use the words of Jesus. And so he explained to her how she could repent of her sins, how she could place her faith in Jesus who died for her and rose from the grave, how she could receive him as Savior, invite him to be the Savior, Lord and Savior of her life. And she did that as a young adult. She gave her life to Christ. And when she did, she didn't just keep it to herself. And she went back first to her sister. They were living by each other, both newlyweds, I think, at that point, and they, as they were living near each other. And she went to her sister, and she said, Bev, I just got to tell you what happened to me. And she explained how Jesus had forgiven of her sins and how she had this relationship with the Lord now. And Bev that night prayed to receive Christ as her own Savior. And Bev didn't keep it to herself. And she wanted other people to hear that message. She didn't just say, you know, I'm good. I, I'm a beggar. I found my bread. I'm just going to eat bread for me. I'm going to remember other beggars who need that bread. And she, that's why she taught vacation Bible school. And that's why she went on mission trips with our church. And she, she didn't just keep it to herself because somewhere deep inside, she was saying one person matters. That person has value and they need the Lord. And she cared about them one at a time. And I'm just reminding you, church family, we care about people who are here. We're thankful that we can fellowship and minister together. But we don't want to forget about little boys and girls who don't know our songs and don't know the message of the gospel and don't come to vacation Bible school and aren't in a life group. And we want to care about them, those who aren't here yet. We want to care for teenagers. It's a hard time to be a teenager. 
It's a hard time to be a teenager. But we want to care for teenagers who have been told by the world, just live for yourself, make life about you, and who have missed the message of the gospel. We want them to know there's a God who loves them, who has a purpose and plan for their lives, who can change them from the, from the inside out. We want to care about men and women who need Christ as Savior. We want them to repent of their sins and find salvation full and free in Jesus Christ. We don't, we don't want to lose sight of this because the outward church cares about the individual, that one lamb, that one lamb. But there's a, third, a fourth principle I want you to note about the outward-focused church, and that is the outward-focused church rejoices in repentance, rejoices in repentance. So verse 5, in verse 5, Jesus continues the story. He says, when the guy finds the lamb, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. It's not a burden to him any longer. He's so excited. He's willing to make the sacrifice to carry the burden. And he, and he doesn't just rejoice personally. Coming home, he calls his friends and neighbors together, saying to them, rejoice with me because I found my lost sheep. There's something about joy in the Bible, about worshiping together. God puts us together for a reason. There's a power to that. And then Jesus summarizes this parable in verse 7. I tell you, he says, in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need repentance. Jesus is saying there's joy in heaven when one sinner repents. Notice if you have your Bibles open, this is true of the next parable, the parable of the coin. In verse 10, the Bible says there is joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents. Or in the story of the lost son, the, what we call the prodigal son, really two prodigal sons in a sense in that story. In verse 32, the Bible says, we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Jesus is saying there is joy in heaven when one sinner repents. That it's not like a, oh, you know, gray, fine, okay. This is the greatest news, the biggest thing. And the outward-focused church recognizes if this matters so deeply in heaven, it ought to matter deeply to those of us who know Christ as Savior on earth. And we ought to care about seeing boys and girls and teenagers and men and women come to know Christ as Savior. That ought to matter to us deeply because it matters deeply in heaven and there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God when just one sinner repents. Today, we, after this first service, a young lady um, came to the connection point and she ended up praying to receive Christ as Savior. And I just thought about the rejoicing in heaven over that one girl who gave her life to Christ today. Or some of you who will give your life to Christ or some who will watch online today and give their life to Christ. I told last week about um, being at First Baptist Church of Corinth, Texas. I was there during my seminary days 10 years before I came here. Now it'll be 26 years this summer. So uh, I told about a time when we had this revival meeting and, and a bunch of teenagers who were there and senior adults who willingly gave up their seats so that teenagers could hear the gospel, deacons who gave up their seats and to, for teenagers to hear the gospel. And man, it's just such a pivotal moment in life. And um, when I came to the church, man, some great, great people, but it was very small. And for Lots of reasons. The church had just been in a long, slow decline. Things can happen like that. It doesn't take, it doesn't take anything to drift from God. It just doesn't. It takes effort to stay close to God. But if you do nothing, I mean, drifting is just doing nothing. It happens all the time. Some of you know that in your own life. You didn't intend to drift from God. You just did. Just do a little bit of nothing. 
lose sight of the, of the things that matter, you can drift from God. And so that happened in our church had just been in a long, slow decline. Uh, we had not, the church had not seen anyone saved and baptized for almost two years. And so there was an eagerness in my heart as a new pastor to see someone come to know the Lord. And I think for many of those who knew Christ as Savior in that church, they were longing to see someone come to know Christ as Savior. We began to pray that way, to share the gospel with others. And um, a young adult lady gave her life to Christ and wanted to be baptized. We hadn't baptized anyone in two years. So we had a problem because the baptistry had been um, made, it was it was an old church building, and the baptistry had been made out of sheet metal. They had welded sheet metal together. And it's kind of an odd thing to make a baptistry out of sheet metal because it, given enough water, sheet metal will rust. And that had happened in our church. And so, so I don't know if they were just saving money, or I've always thought maybe it was the result of a committee. I mean, sometimes, you know, those things happen. Let's build it out of sheet metal, okay. So though the church had not baptized anyone for almost two years, there had been a slow drip from the faucet during that time, just a drip from the faucet. And it had dripped enough that there was a, uh, the metal in the bottom had rusted badly and had clogged the drain shut. I mean, it was completely shut. I couldn't get, no matter what I did, I couldn't get the drain to drain. I didn't use my limited abilities and the people who were in our church and we didn't, we didn't know what to do. But we saw, this lady was saved and, and going to be baptized. And so, you know, what do we do? I, so I just got in with a mop bucket and I mopped out the rusty water as best I could. And then I filled it up. I didn't have to plug the hole. I just filled it up. It wasn't leaking at all. Just filled it up. And even though I had worked hard, the water was still had, you know, had an orange tint and there were pieces of rust floating around in it and swirling you know through the water and so we got the lady gave her a tetanus shot and and decided to, got her in the water to baptize her and and when we when i baptized her i realized god had done a miracle because she had kind of a reddish tint to her hair and you could not see the rust sticking to her hair as she came out it's the miracle of god and then after that, you know, what do you do? There's a baptistry full of water. And so this is what I did. I actually did this for, for months. I would drain the water with a garden hose. I'd siphon the water out of the baptistry with a garden hose. And then when the seal was broken, then I'd mop the rest out and get it out. And I did that for months until finally a pool guy got saved. You talk about a great day. The greatest, maybe the greatest salvation in my personal life. A pool guy got saved. Man, that church, God began to just change how we thought about this. Because in many ways, we had unwittingly, we just we became self-focused and inward-focused. And we, we held hands, metaphorically speaking, with all of us facing inward. And God began to get a hold of our hearts and lives and say, don't forget about those on the outside and those who aren't here yet. And church, here's what I'm asking us to, to do. Let's turn circles outward. I love every person who's here. I'm grateful that God brings people here, puts us together. We want to care about people, fellowship together. It matters deeply. But let's not forget about those who aren't here yet. The little boys and girls and the teenagers and the adults who need Christ as Savior. Some of them don't even know it. 
And we look at them and we say they're broken and sinful and messy and fallen. Yes, but without Christ, we are just as broken and just as separated from God. And we found that bread of life and we want others to find that. And so we consciously decide we're going to turn some circles outward. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? As you, as you listen today, maybe the Holy Spirit convicted you that you need to be saved. I want to ask you to give your life to Christ, if that's you, to just acknowledge that you've sinned against God. God, the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin and righteousness. Just acknowledge, God, I've sinned against you. But I believe you sent Jesus to die on that cross for me, and he paid the debt that I owed. Jesus died in my place for my sins. Jesus rose from the dead for me to conquer sin, death, and hell. And so this day, if you mean this from your heart, this day you could say, you could say to God, Lord, I want to turn from my sin. I want to repent. I want to give my life to Christ. And if you mean that, Christ will save you. And can I tell you, there's rejoicing in heaven over just one sinner who repents. And if you'll give your life to Christ, there will be rejoicing in heaven over you. That's how much you matter to God. Whether you're here in person or watching online, will you give your life to Christ today? And believers, Christians, I want to say just a word to you. Would you say, God, give me a heart for those who are not here yet. Help me to consciously do the supernatural, not just the natural of seeing those who are already here, but the supernatural of seeing beyond to those who aren't here yet. And to love people who are on the outside, to care about them. Lord, would you help us to reach people with the message of the gospel near and far. To be a church that's outward focused. And that cares, that cares about seeing people come to know you as Savior. Would you make that your prayer? Father, thank you for this parable. The shepherd who would leave the 99 for one sheep in the rejoicing that followed. And I want to thank you that you love one sinner like me, like those hearing my words this day. You care about us. We matter to you. And when one of us repents, there's rejoicing in heaven itself. And so, Father, I'm praying you will help us to love people and reach people. Give us a heart for our neighbors, our classmates, our co-workers, our family members who are lost. Give us a heart for them, a love for them, that we would share the gospel, that we would invite and care and love and invest. And we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. In just a moment, we're going to stand.